Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Really, it's, it's more a sense from the entire NBA community that we have an obligation to try this because the alternative is to stay on the sidelines and the alternative is to... Um, in, in essence, give in to this virus. For us, you know, we feel this is what this is what we do. You know, we put on NBA basketball. And I also think in terms of social justice issues, it'll be an opportunity for NBA players in the greater community to draw attention to these issues because the world's attention will be on the NBA in Orlando, Florida, if we're able to pull this off. But I can only say it may not be for everyone. I mean, it will entail enormous sacrifice on behalf of of those players and, and for everyone involved, the coaches, the referees, if a player chooses not to come, it's not a breach of his contract. We accept that. Welcome to the jump. That was NBA commissioner, Adam Silver. I'm Rachel Nichols. We got 2008 finals MVP, Paul Pierce on the line and our old friend, Front office insider Amin El Hassan making his live from home debut on the jump today. Welcome, welcome. Guys, coming up, Damian Lillard says he's not a hundred percent certain about his safety when play resumes next month in Orlando. Stick around to hear why Dame is willing to roll the dice despite those concerns. First though, let's get back to the subject you just heard Adam Silver address on last night's ESPN special. There's a lot going on in the country right now, and Silver said he understands some players might not want to participate in the resumption of the season in Orlando. And indeed, some NBA players have been vocal in opposing a return. Adrian Wojnarowski and Malika Andrews report Kyrie Irving and Avery Bradley are leading a, quote, players coalition that has been formed to take a lead role in voicing those objections. In a statement sent to ESPN on Monday, the coalition writes in part, We have had enough. We are combating the issues that matter most. We will not accept the racial injustices that continue to be ignored in our communities. We will not be kept in the dark when it comes to our health and well-being. Strong words there, Paul. If you were still playing right now, where would your head be at? I think I'd be leaning more toward playing because I know that the NBA presents a, a great platform. You know, a lot of guys have been going through their social media outlets, but, you know, to be able to be on a stage where everybody is going to be watching in Orlando in this bubble, national TV, for me to have another opportunity to put my message out there, uh, I think it provides a great opportunity. So I'll be leaning toward going to play and, and using that NBA platform because we all know once NBA starts, everybody is going to be watching. And so, and I can see the concern for some players that's, uh, you know, have some health concerns or feel like that the NBA is taken away, you know, from the social injustices that are going on in today's world. But I, I, I really feel like being a part of the NBA and being a part of this bubble and, and a restart is going to get them even a more tremendous opportunity. So I'm all for it. Yeah, Rachel, you know, when I worked for the Phoenix Suns in the front office, my job was to be the doomsday guy. If we wanted to make a decision, (laughs) my job was to tell and educate everybody, okay, these are all the things, all the ways that this decision could go wrong. Now, they might go ahead and still make the decision, but they're making an educated decision, right? They're not going off the, the seat of their pants. So when it comes to players deciding whether or not to play, 
I think for my money, that's on them to reconcile with themselves. I think we have to accept that they've come to that decision after deep thought. But the idea is, I hope that everyone in that coalition realizes what comes along with that. And the idea is that guys like Kyrie and even Avery Bradley, they've got enough money in the bank to never play basketball again and their families are taken care of uh, for generations. But there are a lot of players in this league. Some of them are two-way guys. Some of them are 10-day guys. Some of them are minimum guys. Some of them are rookie-scale guys. So they have a couple million, but not enough to say, I never have to play basketball or work a job the rest of my life. And they've got to understand the stakes at, uh, at hand when they make this kind of decision. That's the only part that I hope they know when they join a coalition like this. Yeah, and look, having those discussions is a good thing. I like what Michelle Roberts said, the head of the Players Union, just saying, hey, this isn't players fighting, this is players talking. I think that it's important to look at it like that and think these things through. What I heard Adam Silver say last night is that they are ready as a league to do more. I think there's a little bit from the league side of looking at some of the players voicing concerns and saying, great, what would you like us to do? Give us some specifics, because I know that the NBA has already committed money. They've already sort of committed to the cause in a way of making it very easy and and actually sending out letters, promoting their guys, telling them they want them to speak out on issues. And, And I think there's a willingness on the league side to say, yeah, you're right. We could do more. What would that be? And I think they are ready to listen right now. So I'm curious if the next stage is that this coalition or some of the people involved, maybe even on the outside, want to say, hey, I would like this to happen because I Rachel, think they're going to find a willing audience. Compare and contrast what the Texas college kids did versus what this coalition is doing. They had specific demands. Not We're not going to stand for this anymore. We're not going to stand for this anymore. We need this, this, and this to happen. I'd like to hear that from this coalition of players. Well, I mean, also, you talked about some of the finances. There's, of course, another layer to this beyond just this season. Ramona and Woj reported that on Friday's large group player conference call, that big, big one that Kyrie organized, union president Chris Paul also spoke. And one of his points was the financial implications of a decision not to play was not just the salary that players would lose from this season, but the impact on next season and the collective bargaining agreement How critical is that issue to this conversation to mean, in your opinion? It's immensely critical. But here's the deal, Rachel. It is my understanding that regardless of whether the players play in Orlando or not, the owners will invoke force majeure and rip up the CBA. And the reason why they have that legal ability to do that is because games have been canceled. It doesn't have to be the rest of the season being canceled. Just the idea that eight teams aren't playing any games and 22 teams are playing a shortened version of the regular season. That is enough for the owners to invoke force majeure. So you say, if they're canceled any, any way, why should the players play? Because if you play, you make this money not only for yourselves, but obviously for the owners. That they take as good faith. Like, okay, we're good. We'll try and work this out. But if you don't play... Then the owners are out for blood, and they can go after a lot more to make up for the money that they lost during uh, what would essentially be this strike if they if they so choose to do it. And that's really important to understand because if we look at how the BRI split has happened from negotiation to negotiation to negotiation, it keeps getting worse for the players. The deals never get better. So you want to make sure you're getting the best possible deal knowing that it's not going to be as good as the one we have now. 
Well, me being a former player, I'm going to tell you this. I think it's going to happen anyway. You know, I've been part of two lockouts, and I've seen how uh, the owners have always got their way in each lockout. And if they have an opportunity, which they will have, whether the players play or not after the season, to get more money in their pockets, I, I think they will. And, you know, I, I just think that's the way the businesses have been ran, you know, throughout the history of the league. Um, you know, and, and and this goes back to saying what Kyrie is saying. If the players choose not to play completely, like he said, I mean, it's either way. It's, I think it's going to happen, whether the players play or not. You think, think we're going to have a lockout? I mean, then you got to look at this. Next season, there's a possibility that we could be playing without fans once again, which is a huge part of, uh, of the BRI, which is what 40% of league re- revenue uh, is, you know, fan participation. And so, if we don't have fans next year, you know, how do you come up with the money to play to pay the players? I know, you know, these owners have big bankrolls, but, you know, that's a big part of uh, paying the players is fans revenue. Well, Paul, that's so interesting because, as you said, you were part of two different lockouts. There was a much more contentious relationship during those times between the Players Union and then-Commissioner David Stern. It's been a much more friendly relationship, a cooperative relationship with Adam Silver and the Players Union. But yes, if there's just not enough money to go around with the way these guys see it, and again, I'm not talking about the rest of us because there's definitely enough money for the rest of us in the NBA, but the way these guys see it, the owners and the players, we could see another lockout. I'm fascinated that you think that this is coming either way. Woo, everyone better buckle up. (laughs) I mean, the players are losing a lot of money right now and probably even more next year. You know, who knows what's in store? And we will, we will continue to be tracking. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the health side, guys. We're going to discuss the measures the NBA is taking to protect players and staff from exposure to COVID-19 in Orlando and whether those measures go far enough. First, though, it's time for our distant replay. This date in NBA history, it's an NBA Finals date, so you know it's going to be good. Take a look. It could be a routine drive to pick up the kids after school or an epic road trip across the country. No matter where your travels take you, we know those miles count. We're Marathon. We have over 5,700 stations across our great nation. Our people are working hard every day to provide you with quality top-tier gasoline to improve engine performance and fuel your life. Marathon, fueling the American spirit. Hello, this is your apartment. I need some favors from you. 
Your cat keeps rubbing against the kitchen island, and I can't return the favor. Can you give her extra pets for me? After that, could you bundle your renters and car insurance with Geico? We could save money, and it's easy to do online. And one last thing. Could you leave the TV on during the day? I need to catch up on my soaps. Geico. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com today. Welcome back to The Jump. Blazers star Damian Lillard joins last night's SportsCenter special. And he didn't shy away from voicing his concerns on the health risks associated with resuming the NBA season. Take a listen to Dame here. I'm not really sure. I don't feel 100% comfortable. Um, but, you know, it's a risk that I'm willing to take. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, this is what we do. This is our job. Um, and this is how we take care of our families. And also, like I mentioned earlier, it's my way of providing for uh, communities and impact in my community. So, um, to play the game I love to, to resume the season, you know, I guess it's a, it's a risk that I'm willing to take. So good perspective there for Damien. And for more on the health part, Commissioner Silver provided a bit of clarity on some of the safeguards Disney employees assigned to work inside of the Worldwide Sports Complex will take to limit exposure to COVID-19. He also clarified why we shouldn't refer to Orlando as a bubble. Take a listen to him. It's a little bit of a misnomer to call it a bubble because a campus with varying levels of protection, depending on the proximity to the players and the people in their immediate vicinity. In other words, some of the Disney employees will be going in and out of the campus, but they won't be in the same room as the players. I mean, there'll be other people who potentially be in the same room with players, but they'll remain physically distant from them. And there'll then be those who, in essence, um, will be breathing the same air as the players and vice versa. And for those people, we have to take particular precautions. So that's interesting. We certainly don't have all of the health and safety protocols from the NBA yet, but that is more than we knew a day ago. So, Paul, if you were being asked to go to the Orlando campus, would you be okay with the Disney workers going off the property and mixing with the public every night and then coming back on as long as they were never, in Adam's words, breathing the same air or being in the same room as you to the extent that the (laughs) other people who were more locked down would be? I mean, I definitely have concerns because, you know, like the commissioner said, it's not a bubble. You're going to have people having access in and out of the campus, uh, you know, and in that case, you know, how many how much test is provided? You know, what's what's the protocol to people who leave and come back? And there's there's so many different concerns. But, um, you know, they're going to be able to provide the testing. Uh, I probably would feel a lot safer there than where I feel right now in the position I am right now where I'm going to grocery stores, I'm going to restaurants, there's no protocol on what I'm doing. I'm not able to get tested uh, once every two days or however, you know, the players and staff and people inside this campus are going to be tested. Um, I can understand there's the concerns, but, you know, me personally, I I definitely will feel safe being able to head to Orlando knowing that there is a lot of Precautions that's going to be made, you know, they have a lot of things in place and uh, the testing they're going to be able to get is something I wouldn't be able to get right now uh, in my everyday life. You know, so, you know, I feel a lot safer there than I would be uh, where I am today. Yeah, you, you know, safety, when it comes to safety, 
there's two really different schools of thought. There's one school of thought, which is the safest thing that we can do without a cure and without a vaccine is to stay away from one another. And so the more people you introduce into an environment, especially if they have access in and out, the, the greater increased risks that we have of infection. On the other hand, I've read a lot of uh, experts say that, look, the number one way of infecting one another is human, uh, basically, interaction. Sharing the same space in the same air in the same room as someone who has it. So if these uh, Disney employees are never actually physically in the room at the same time as when the players or the staff are there, then the, the, the levels of risk are greatly reduced. And not only that, we have a lot of technology that's, that's out there uh, that's being used to make sure that beyond just regular scrubbing, we get a higher level of cleanliness. I saw this. There's this robot that they use at hospitals where it flashes UV light and disinfects the room um, being used now in hotels. So who knows if they'll use those kind of precautions. But I think the other part of this, Rachel, is there's a difference between safety and fairness. You can complain about the safety concern about these uh, Disney employees coming in and out of the environment. You can't complain about fairness because they are represented by a union of their own that has mm-hmm. to negotiate with Disney, not with the NBA, not with the NBA Players Association. And so as union members, the players have to respect that they're also these employees are union members as well. Yeah, and they're paid a lot differently than an NBA player as well. So when you talk about not the health and safety, but just the fairness, as you say, the fairness of, well, we're locked down. Why aren't they locked down? Obviously, you are being much better compensated to being locked down. And, of course, as Paul said, in a lot of ways, this campus is going to be the safest place in the state of Florida. We'll have to see how that all pans out. Uh, part of this, too, is the number of teams, a number of players, uh, a number of staff each team can bring. They're only allowed to bring 35 members of their respective organizations to Orlando. So after the break, we're going to discuss some of the super tough decisions teams will have to face to get to that number. First, though, here's what The Jump recommends for today. Tim Bontemps outlines nine ways that this one-off playoff format will impact the league for years to come. It's a great article. Head over to the ESPN app to learn what's in store for 2023 agents, Victor Oladipo, Giannis. It's all in there. Stick with us. We'll be back. It's your home speaking, and I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, could you get that blueberry that rolled under the fridge last week? It's throwing my feng shui off. Second thing, bundle your home and car insurance with GEICO. It's easy, and we could save money. Lastly, I know you were thinking of painting the nursery back to off-white, but I'm actually feeling this baby blue. Didn't think it was my color, but I am pulling it off. GEICO. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com today. The 28th annual ESPYs are happening virtually, of course, hosted by WNBA star Sue Bird, U.S. Women's National Team co-captain and star Megan Rapinoe, and Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson. Yeah, all Seattle flair there. This year's awards focus on service, perseverance, and courage in the world of athletics. That's Sunday, June 21st on ESPN. And coming up next here on ESPN, 20 minutes of Jalen and Jacoby, highly questionable around the horn. That's followed by a two-hour sports center at 5 on ESPN with the PTI guys joining at 5.30. All right, some big news from the W. WNBA announcing plans for an abbreviated 22-game season, which will begin in late July and end with the postseason in October, according to the league. Still finalizing a partnership with IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. But here's the huge part of it. 
players will receive their full pay and benefits during the season, even though they're playing less games. Props to the union for negotiating that. All right, guys, I want to move on to on this date. 2015, the Warriors snapped a 40-year title drought. Yep, that win over the Cavs would spark one of the most impressive five-year runs in NBA history. So, Paul, how many light years, how many years, shot, shout out <laughs> producer Danny, um, until Golden State wins its next title? I really, truly believe they can win a title within the next three years. Given their foundation, you know, even though we didn't see Curry, we didn't see Clay this year, but you got to admit, this is probably the best backcourt in all of basketball still when healthy. Uh, if they make the right moves within the next three years, they're going to get a nice draft pick uh, coming up that they could probably parlay into something, a, a good player, a very good player maybe. Um, you know, I think all of the infrastructure is in place for them to, to really build a championship team within the next three years. Paul, I like that. Three years feels like a good number. All right, I want to get to this because the NBA is allocating 35 spots per team for the 22 organizations that are going to be invited to the Orlando campus. Now, luckily for us... Someone on the show today once worked in a front office, and it's not me or Paul. Amin Hassan. how are they going to do this? Because traveling parties are normally about 50 strong in the NBA. How is the front office going to decide which 35 guys to take? Yeah, we got to get lean with it. So we got to figure out who are the most essential, the most essential. The number one group of people, probably even more important than the players, are the medical and training staff. These are the people, your strength coach, your, your athletic trainer, your doctors, They've got to make sure not only that everyone's healthy from a COVID standpoint, but also three months of inactivity. We want to make sure nobody gets hurt. We want to injury prevent. So these people are incredibly important. You're going to bring the entire staff there. You're no skimping there. Mm. Then you okay. got your your players. We can bring 17. I've heard a, at least a couple of teams said maybe we're not going to bring all 17, right? Mm. Not not bring the whole 17 gives you some wiggle room for other areas. The league is mandating you have to bring equipment managers and security with you. So you got another couple right there. Then you get to your coaches, your head coach, and five or six assistant coaches. Maybe a couple of them are player development guys. Maybe we're making our assistant coaches do the player development. And then finally, someone from the front office. Is it the lead decision maker? Is it is it maybe the second in command? Someone from the front office has to be there. And probably, it goes without saying, a PR person as well. <laughs> Well, I disagree. I don't think you need anybody from the front office. I mean, mm, okay. They're, they're, I mean, what, are the, what, are any, what is anybody from the front office going to do? You know, their job is pretty much uh, doing the things off the court. But for me, the most important people is, is definitely your strength coach, your trainer, your nutritionist, uh, and your PR guy and equipment manager. You know, those guys are the most, was the most important people for me day to day. On game days, that, that and I think that's all you need. You don't need people coming then come as fans. I think people in the front office, they're just fans. What 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 yeah. do we need to hear from the front office on a day to day basis in the in a short season? You know, their job is going out, doing the scouting now, doing getting ready for the draft and and and, and getting ready for next year. So there's no need for front office people to even be there. I believe. Paul, I love this. Upending the apple cart of the NBA hierarchy. No front office wanna... people are needed, but the PR people and the nutritionists. Those are the importance. Now, nutritionists didn't make a means list. Personal security for some of these guys that they're really Personal used to not making a means sure. list. These are going to be very hard decisions. We will watch teams as they unfold. See you guys tomorrow on The Jump.